Welcome to the Beaver Bulletin, your new favorite weekly podcast from Univista University's The Tack. Here giving you all of the news and updates from the last week, I'm your host, Colin Amhoff, and don't forget to go check out all of the other great articles that The Tack has to offer. Let's see what's on the bulletin board for this week of February 14th, 2021. Today on the bulletin board, we've got a lack of diversity amongst BBU faculty and staff, Texas's widespread power outages, and of course, the event of the week, BVU's start to the indoor track season. All of that and more to come on this week's episode of the Beaver Bulletin. If you want to learn more about any of these stories, scroll on down to the description and you can go check out these articles for yourself. Now, for our first story. Our first story on the board comes from the lack of diversity amongst faculty and staff at BVU. According to University President Dr. Brian Lensmeyer, the diversity rate among faculty, which includes all professors, is only 6%, and the rate among staff, which includes all other BV employees, is just 12%. I was able to sit down with Dr. Lensmeyer to find out why this is. Um, I, I don't think it's from a lack of trying. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a good answer for why we are where we're at. Um, we've made a lot of efforts in the last couple of years to expand the diversity of the faculty. Uh, we've started uh, having search teams do implicit bias training. We've started advertising in uh, journals that are read primarily by people from diverse backgrounds, um, specifically recruiting at institutions like historically black colleges and universities. And so far, we, we haven't been as successful as I'd like to see. I think part of it is it, we're up against a lot of competition. Um, there have been a number of times where we've, you know, we've really gotten a good candidate in line and we're competing against somebody who's from a major metropolitan area and um, can offer a lot more outside the community. And so you know, what's really key is, is selling the vision of the institution and the importance of providing a, a diverse environment for our students. So we really try to do that. Sometimes at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to how much can people pay? And you know, when we're competing against a major school, that gets to be tough for us. You know, I, I'm really thrilled we were able to hire Dr. Joel Berrien to be our executive director for diversity and inclusion. Um, and he sees the potential here. And I'm really excited. He and I had a conversation yesterday about leveraging his experience and his expertise in helping us recruit diverse faculty. So I'm optimistic about uh, where we're at. Helping Dr. Lensmeyer with a lot of this recruiting process is Executive Director for Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. Joel Berrien. I was able to sit down with him to discuss the importance of having diverse faculty and staff. Here's what he had to say. Number one, diverse faculty and staff bring diverse perspectives. Diversity uh, goes beyond just race, uh, ethnicity, gender, uh, age, and so on and so forth. It also is talking about diverse perspectives, diverse interpretations, and, and diverse ideas. So with diverse faculty, you bring uh, diverse perspectives, uh, you bring cultural competency, but they also serve as examples for other diverse student populations, showing that you can, you too can achieve this. Uh, or the fact that when a student sees someone who looks like him or her, uh, oftentimes research shows that, that it not only helps with retention and recruitment, but oftentimes those students feel cared about, they feel like a sense of belonging. 
um, not only the university or the college, but in that classroom. Because there have been times in the past when I was the only black person in the class. When I was working through my graduate school times, and it, you know, I kind of felt out of place. You know, I sometimes even dealt with imposter syndrome. So, but to find someone or see someone who looks like me, who are not necessarily like me, but with with some sense of diversity, with 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 diverse perspectives, diverse lived experiences, made me feel more at ease and encouraged. It has the potential to have an adverse effect. With lack of diversity in faculty and staff, but with the intention or the desire to to recruit and retain more diverse student populations, for them not to have role models, for them not to have people here who not only look like them but but again share diverse perspectives, you know, similar to them, um, it's going to be very hard for some of the students to, to to have a sense of belonging. Big thanks to Dr. Lensmeyer and Dr. Berrien for sitting down and talking with me. With both of them working on this issue, results are sure to come. Next up on the board is BV County's COVID vaccination plan. While BV County, like the rest of Iowa, is still receiving very minimal amounts of doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, the county has begun a plan that includes 400 weekly doses for seniors and schools. According to Public Health Director Julie Sather, this plan will allocate a minimum of 80% of the county's available doses. These numbers are interesting as merely weeks ago, the Storm Lake Times had reported that the county was only receiving around 100 doses a week since Christmas. And Iowa still sits towards the bottom of states in COVID vaccination rate and vaccination availability. Luckily, this points to the county and hopefully the rest of Iowa receiving more doses and getting more people vaccinated. With this plan for seniors in BV County, it will be interesting to see if a similar approach for the Tyson food plant workers is taken. Hopefully, the amount of available doses in the county continues to rise and allows most of the county to be vaccinated soon. I don't know how many weeks in a row this is, but here's your weekly reminder to wear your mask and stay safe. Now to our third story on the board with Iowa Farm bankruptcy continuing to rise despite relief efforts. Iowa Farms going bankrupt is nothing new as the rate of this has continuously increased since the 1980s. With the year 2020 being what it was, it is not surprising to see an increase in the amount of bankrupt Iowa farmers. This year has seen the most Iowa farmers file for bankruptcy in over a decade. This is true despite the $2 billion in government assistance. Many economists, lenders, and bankruptcy attorneys think these numbers could have been a lot worse if the government assistance was not received. Data from the federal courts show that 34 Iowa farmers filed for bankruptcy, which is seven more than in 2019. This would help these farmers avoid foreclosure and liquidation. Overall, the U.S. farmer bankruptcy has shrank with the federal government putting almost $50 billion into the farm economy last year, which accounts for close to 40% of all farm income for the year. Many experts think this loss is just the tip of the iceberg for many Iowa farmers, and the following years will continue to not be kind to them. With bushel prices for corn and soybeans, which are Iowa's two biggest crops, on the way down, it leaves us unsure on how Iowa farmers will survive in the future. Moving to number four on the board with the widespread power outages all over Texas. In one of the coldest weeks of the year for Texas, over 3 million residents lost power and were without heat. These outages occurred all over Texas and caused serious issues with heat, food supply, and water. Luckily, Thursday morning saw a great improvement on the situation as now only about 500,000 residents are without power. The winter storms are the cause of these power outages as many generators have been damaged due to ice. This is causing a lot of panic across Texas as in some areas they are burning anything they can get their hands on. 
Along with the lack of heat, the freezing temperatures have caused many pipes to freeze and burst. This leaves residents that have power with no running water. As well, the lack of power has led to food shortages because of the lack of refrigeration. This frigid winter storm for Texas has been their worst in decades. Texas, a state not normally prepared for winter storms, has had a very rough week with no power, heat, or running water. With the power hopefully returning to most of the state soon, let's hope that Texas will return to normal. Coming to our fifth story on the board with former President Trump attacking Mitch McConnell. On Tuesday, Trump delivered what can only be categorized as a highly personal attack. Trump stated, The Republican Party can never again be respected or strong with political leaders like Mitch McConnell at its helm. Trump would go on to call Mitch McConnell an unsmiling political hack, and he continued saying if McConnell continued to lead the Republican senators, they would never again win. This personal attack was sparked after McConnell voted to acquit former President Trump of his second impeachment trial, but McConnell condemned Trump for the attack on the Capitol. McConnell thinks that Trump should be held responsible for the insurrection of riots, but voted to acquit because of the constitutional concerns of impeaching a former president. A back and forth would continue between Trump and McConnell, as Trump claims that McConnell only won his chair because of Trump's endorsement. This back-and-forth childish fight reveals a deep rift in the Republican Party. It is now clear that former President Trump does not get along with current minority Senate leader Mitch McConnell. We'll soon see what this means for the Republican Party. The final thing on the board is, of course, our event of the week, BVU's start to the indoor track season. On Saturday, February 13th, the Beavers took the track for their second triangular meet of the season. This would be their second home meet of the season where they would take on two tough in-conference opponents in Simpson and Wartburg. The Beavers performed well on both the men's and women's side. The women would score a lot of points in field events as Tabitha Guyette would win long jump, Skylar Cole would finish fourth in high jump, and the nationally ranked women's throwing squad would place third through fifth in shot put and second through fourth in weight throw. The women would also take second in the 4x400-meter relay. For the men, they would have more luck on the track with Jaden Mickey finishing third in the 400. Kyle Miller would finish second in the 800 with a time that would move him into the top 10 in school history. Lane Jellison would take second in both the shot put and weight throw. And Greg Tisdall would take sixth in the 3K, running the second fastest time in school history. While the men would finish third and the women's second in team standings, this season has been off to a good start for the Beavers. That's all on the bulletin board for this week, folks. Make sure to come back next week for more great stories and updates. Remember, if any story interested you and you would like to read more, links to all of the articles are in the description. Also, don't forget to go check out more great articles from the TAC. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Beaver Bulletin. I'm your host, Colin Imhoff, and I'll see you all next week.